Hey there, sports fan. Welcome to the Draft Site Podcast, your home for all professional sports drafts. Brought to you by DraftSite.com, the original full round mock draft site. Now let's get to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Draft Site Podcast number 19. You're joined today by DJ Boyer and Jared Belson. DJ, you want to say hello? Hello, 44 days till the draft, everybody. 44 days. You can get the countdown on draftside.com on the front page. It says 44 days, 4 hours, 22 minutes, and 27 seconds. So if you're, if you're as excited as, our, as we are, then uh, you, know, you can keep checking this countdown every day. Like DJ, his countdown's in his head, so it's a little different. Uh, I kind of did just do that through my head. Just going by, uh, I was like six weeks, that's 42, two days, 44. So, yeah. Thank you. I now can... Didn't realize we had that on the front. Get easier on my, get easier on myself. There you go. Everyone else, there's a lot on draft site uh, for any of the listeners out there. We're expanding a lot of the features that are coming out. Uh, one thing that we did recently where Brendan is actually adding some videos for each of the players on the site. So if you go to, say, Jameis Winston, you get some highlights from YouTube that are linked. Users have been adding scouting profiles. We're adding some pictures. As I said, we have the user mock drafts, and pretty soon we're going to be integrating them more into the site, so you're going to be able to see it along with everyone else's right from the mock draft, right from the mock draft page. So that will all be coming pretty soon. Um, anything else you want to see, email, call, tweet, whatever, let us know, and uh, we'll try to get it going. So let's start the podcast. DJ, what's been going on the last few days in the NFL? How is it, it going to affect the draft? Oh, there's all kinds of things going on. But first, it, people might not uh, see this as, as much of a big deal, but you just mentioned uh, Jameis Winston causing a little bit of controversy today, the fact that he has already told the NFL he does not plan to be in attendance at the draft, which has kind of set off a firestorm. Some, you know, the NFL saying that, you know, it's the player's choice whether they're going to be there or not, and others saying, wow, this is a – a huge, you know, it's a huge event. You know, the NFL's put this in prime time, and what this could possibly mean if the top pick is actually not in attendance. So, uh, where do, so uh, where do, where do you fall on this issue, Jared? It's kind of an, an interesting little. I've heard uh, some quips on both sides uh, since this kind of came out this afternoon. This is kind of interesting. Well, I think that's what happens when you move the draft to Chicago. <laughs> you here in New York, you know, it's a destination. People want to go. Now, Chicago is a fantastic city, especially when it's warm. But with this weather, I think he's saying, well, I could be near the beach with my family in some warm weather, or I go to Chicago, a city maybe he's been, maybe he has no desire to see, and, uh, you know, go to the draft for a few days and come back. I think I like the fact that he's making this decision. I think, you know, more people would want to be with their families, granted, you get to sit with your families, they all get invited, and you're sitting at the tables and in the green room. At the end of the day, you know, it's, it's your shining moment. And just like who went on the fishing boat? Joe, Joe Thomas. Joe Thomas. I love that move. I love that move. Because you know what? It's, <laughs> it's an anxiety-filled day, and the media takes away from a lot of it. And really, you know, you're, it's the first step in an extra life, and you want to celebrate with your friends and family. So, uh I don't mind that move. I, I couldn't agree more unless the NFL is going to pay for these people to actually attend because, you know, they're making buku bucks off this. The, the revenue they've been generating off the draft 
It's been going up year in and in year out. So unless they're paying some kind of an, of attendance fee, yeah, it should be up to the player. So I, I say the same thing. Kudos, Janus. But uh, but aside from that, just just an interesting little nugget wanted to lead off with there. But uh, it's all about the pro days right now and. You know, people can make, uh, and, and us included, we can make all the mock drafts in the world, but there's always those unforeseen cuts or unforeseen signings or people that are free agents that sign with teams that come out of left field. And this year we're dealing with trades, uh, the amount of uh, the trade activity that has been unprecedented in, in the NFL in years past. That's uh, kind of shooting holes in mock drafts everywhere. Or suddenly uh, maybe some areas where you didn't think your team was going to be looking Maybe they filled that gap, or maybe they lost someone that you weren't expecting, and now all of a sudden everybody's needs and priorities are kind of shifting. I mean, I can think of about 10 to 12 teams just off the top of my head where now you're where they're looking in the first round is probably where you didn't anticipate them looking as little as three or four weeks ago. All right, give us, give us one of those teams, DJ. Well, I think the big thing, uh, one of them you have to talk about, I mean, we, we've made so much about Detroit with Indomitian Sioux, and then even with the fact that, uh, you know, he does get that record-breaking contract uh, in Detroit, and then people are thinking, well, now, you know, Nick Fairley's definitely going to have to stay here. But unfortunately, the ground, the Lions kind of made it apparent uh, last year they had a, actually a chance to exercise an option and kind of do a long-term deal with him, and they declined to do so. So they knew they were really rolling the dice, so they, they lose both of their defensive tackles. They do get Haloti Nada to come in, but a player that's much older than the both of them, still granted a very good player. But I, I still think that Detroit is probably going to be looking at a defensive tackle, and I've had them uh, picked with Eddie Goldman for ooh, probably two, three months now, and I think it's still a move they make, even with uh, Haloti Nada coming aboard. Um, people thought that maybe they would look in a different direction. Maybe they would address the offensive line. Pass rushing linebacker or, or someone to kind of replace Cliff Abel that they kind of missed last year. Uh, maybe get another playmaker in the secondary. But I still think, even though they brought in a, a player with the Pro Bowl pedigree of Haloti Nada, they're still probably going to be looking at a defensive tackle. Of course, the Philadelphia Eagles is uh, a team on a lot of people's radar just because of the, the flurry of activity. Uh, I really thought that LaShawn McCoy was going to get traded. That did not was the, the, was the, the trading partner, Buffalo. You probably would have made the list uh, teams who would be likely trading partners with the Eagles. Buffalo probably would have been in my bottom five. I was not surprised by the deal. On a 1-10, to 10, I would have given that about a 9. I had a feeling that would happen, but Buffalo would have been about a 2 on my radar as far as where I thought he would end up. Uh, now with, uh, you know, I think the Jeremy Macklin, the loss of Jeremy Macklin, I think, is what really has a lot of the Eagles people concerned uh, just because that that's a player they really wanted to keep. And Unfortunately, I think uh, he put up a career year, and the Eagles only gave him a one-year deal last year. So it's, it's he gets to play with his old coach in Kansas City. So now there's been so much talk about the quarterbacks and the Nick Foles and Bradford trade. I really think that, uh, and you know what they're going to do at running back, and they they bring you know Demarco Murray and Ryan Matthews are both in the fold. Um, but I, I really think the Eagles could be looking at a big uh, wide receiver just because. We've heard so much about Chip Kelly wanting big wide receivers in his offense. That's why Deshaun Jackson, he says he was let go. Jeremy Macklin, six foot, not, not a huge receiver, but if you look, Riley Cooper, his productivity fell off, but he's a big target. They draft Jordan Matthews last year, six three and a half, six four. Uh, they, they really do like the big wide receivers. And 
a lot of these receivers at the top of the board um, are, you know, over six feet. People like if they stay put at number 20, we could be looking at a Devontae Parker. We could be looking uh, uh, at a uh, Jalen Strong. There's a number of receivers who I think could fit the bill there. So suddenly wide receiver could be the first first look of the Eagles. And, and we talked about DeMarco Murray, and now the Cowboys have been looking in so many other directions, and the defense needs to be addressed so much. But there's a lot of reports that the Cowboys are absolutely enamored with Todd Gurley. So maybe the Cowboys actually go Todd Gurley in round one, take that running back before concentrating on the defense. And, of course, all this comes about after uh, DeMarco Murray leaves via free agency. Well, the problem is if they're enamored with Todd Gurley and people know it and it's being announced, then they're definitely not going to get it because, one, that increases his value. He might go up. Two, if someone knows that Dallas is enamored with him and there's one other team that is as well, they'll trade up with Baltimore, who has a history of trading down, and take that 26 pick and take Todd Gurley. I mean, you know, Dallas is only hurting themselves by by spreading rumors about who they're enamored with, but... I think a lot of teams uh, were enamored with Todd Gurley and still will be. When When's Georgia's pro day? That's actually still coming up. He actually has a private workout that's actually uh, going to be coming up as well, um, one that's obviously going to be limited. He's still rehabbing and, and things of that nature. But uh, he's he's one of the more anticipated people that's going to be coming on the horizon as far as what he's able to do uh, and where he's actually going to drop. Still think he's going to be a first-round pick. And we see it year in and year out. There are teams that, Near the end of the first round, there's always a, a flurry of activity. Um, you know, you take someone in the first round, and you kind of, especially when you're at the top or the middle stages around two, you've got your eyes on someone else, either someone that you think is going to be there or someone that you hope kind of falls back to you in that second round. Sometimes it, it just becomes apparent teams can't wait, and they start making deals at the end of that first, that first round. I've, I've been told that the Cowboys have a number in mind. Um, the Cowboys have uh, what I've been told. I have not been able to get the trade partner out of this very reliable source that I've had for a number of years uh, working with the NFL, that the Cowboys have a number of four. And if by the time their pick comes up, if there are still four or more players that they covet, uh, they are actually looking at trading down. Uh, if that number is under four, they want to go ahead and make a pick. Um, what I was trying to ascertain was, you know, who is this trading partner? Apparently with that, it, it kind of signified to me they've already been contacted by a team or teams who are looking at moving up in the first round. Uh, could not get that information. Dallas is one of these teams that are uh, – you hear a lot about um, value and, and projected value. Dallas kind of uh, – some of these teams kind of have their own value-based systems that they work off of, and Dallas is one of those. And I – I have a feeling that uh, what, I, what I'm getting is that if they, they give out, you know, just who this trade partner is, if someone's going to, you know, crack their formula, like uh, this is some World War II cold code or something we're trying to decipher. But uh, I've heard their magic number is four, but apparently there's already a couple of people. So it's going to depend on how the draft is actually falling. And if a number of those players are still there, I think Dallas is going to be looking at trying to get a, a couple of picks early in the, the second round, and they will trade back. Now, what are some of the other smaller moves this week that uh, might have affected how the draft is going to unfold? Uh, I've been, uh, uh, I've also been watching San Francisco. There's been a number of moves there that have been uh, a little bit surprising. Um, they did, you know, we have uh, Reggie Bush actually uh, going there. They were actually rumored to be 
heavily after Percy Harvin, which what I thought would have been very interesting with Percy Harvin going back into the NFC West with uh, Seattle where things did not uh, kind of work out there and uh, just got uh, basically didn't leave Buffalo without that contract. He was uh, put on a plane with, uh, I believe it was Charles Clay as well, and some actually executives from Buffalo were on that plane, and then uh, he uh, basically decided to cancel all of his visits elsewhere. So it looks like San Francisco has been bitten a couple of times where they've been kind of finished second or third in a number of sweepstakes here, and there's been kind of a mass exodus there. So I think uh, San Francisco is another team where I think it's going to be pivotal for where they go because people are just they're so unsure where they are or where they're going to be looking, and, and being in the middle of that first round, that could be a very pivotal team as far as it could dictate with how the rest of the first round goes depending on whether San Francisco goes for an offensive lineman, uh, whether they're going to kind of replace a couple of these defensive losses they've had. Some are, you know, Justin Smith and Patrick Willis with retirement. Uh, we're not only talking about free agents here, but we're talking about marquee players who are hanging their cleats up. So I'm one of the teams that I'm very interested in and watching and I think could uh, really kind of dictate the tone is San Francisco and picking at uh, – 15, they're kind of right in the middle of that first round in the middle of the fray. Uh, I think that's going to be – that's one of the things that I'm, I'm tracking pretty closely. And uh, as well as Marcus Mariota, a lot of uh, chatter that his pro day was not – that was not stellar. Uh, we, we got uh, – we all saw at the Combine where Marcus Mariota and James Winston both performed pretty well at the Combine. By all accounts, maybe Mariota had a slight edge with his overall athleticism and maybe Winston threw the ball a little bit better. But um, Mariota seemed to look good with his footwork. People were concerned uh, with how he'd handle the three- and five-step drops, playing predominantly in a, a shotgun-based system. Uh, apparently, at the combine, he had done enough, it seemed, to kind of squash kind of that initial concern with how his footwork would be and how he would operate in more of a, quote, traditional NFL system. But uh, it looked like uh, it was a little bit shaky on that pro day. But, you know, we did see this last year with Teddy Bridgewater, his – his stock kind of took a hit, and you know he did sneak back into the first round. As we we talked about players that always seem to pop up at the end of the first round, Eddie Bridgewater was that guy at the end of the first round last year. Minnesota traded up for. So we're going to have to see how much this is actually going to affect Marcus Mariota's stock. Is he still this number two guy? Do do a team like the Jets at number six, if they really wanted him, you know, before they were had to think about orchestrating some type of deal and what they'd have to give up. If this this workout really does uh, cause some cause some doubts for the Titans, or they're not quite um, as high on him as, as many people think, maybe the Jets don't have to go anywhere, or maybe the Jets pass altogether. If he gets by the Jets, I think you could see a flurry of activity from teams that are a little bit lower in the draft process, where maybe we start seeing some, some teams put some deals together who didn't think didn't think they would have a realistic shot at Marcus Mariota. I think this Mariota, quote, subpar workout uh, to me has been kind of the big story of this past week, too. And other than the first day that it happened, we haven't heard too much about it, and I'm a, I'm a little bit surprised. I thought uh, we'd be hearing a little bit more now, and what uh, Marcus Mariota, if there's, there's going to be some more workouts or some more individual workouts with teams is what we're going to have to keep our eyes on to see if maybe that kind of tips the, the hat for which teams are really, really serious about him and which ones are just kind of uh, it's just kind of lip service at this time? Well, let's talk about another quarterback who uh, 
you wanted to put in the 2015 mock draft in the first round, and that's to your Philadelphia Eagles at number 20. Uh, I certainly question that, and that's Brett Hundley. So you're, you're still thinking there's a chance he jumps into the mid to late first round, but you still think there's a chance the Eagles might take him after trading for Sam Bradford? Uh, right now, I think the one thing you expect from Philadelphia is the unexpected. Philadelphia seems to be taking over the mantle of the Oakland Raiders, who for years were just you just never knew what was going on in Oakland. You were just kind of on edge all the time. And I think now if, this is two years in a row now where there's been some eye-opening moves that have been made by, by Chip Kelly and his staff. And now that he kind of won the power struggle and he's making pretty much all the, the personnel decisions there in Philadelphia, he's uh, Howie Roseman is, is out of that role in Philadelphia, and Chip Kelly has that as well as being the head coach. Now we're – we're just seeing a flurry of activity where it seems like it's really kind of trying to put a stamp on that team and it's all about culture there. So uh, I really don't know what to expect in Philadelphia. There were, there was talk that maybe that this is just kind of a, a bargaining chip that maybe they're still looking at Mariota or trying to do something. I'm not quite sure Merit that that's what they'd be doing. I, I, I really think it'd be in Philadelphia's best interest if they don't go for a big receiver I think there's still a shot that Landon Collins kind of falls to them at number 20. The Eagles had actually made free agent a uh, free agent offer to Devin McCourty as well as Byron Maxwell. They did get Byron Maxwell. They did not get McCourty, who they wanted to play at safety uh, with Malcolm Jenkins. So I think there's still a void there, especially since Nate Allen got uh, a ridiculous amount of money from Oakland. Uh, and there's a there's a void there for Philadelphia. So I think maybe Landon Collins would, would make sense. But we did just talk a, a little bit about players at the end of the first round that teams are going to trade up for. And we saw it last year with, uh, with Teddy Bridgewater. It was the, the very last pick in round, round one. Uh, the Vikings were apparently not the only team that were kind of trying to posture and actually make a deal there. Um, so I think that uh, Brett Hundley is, is one of those players. I think Max Williams, uh, the tight end out of Minnesota, who looks like the I'm, – I'm, I'm not sold that he's a first-round prospect, but I am sold that he is the top tight end in this draft in what is probably the weakest class I've seen in about 10 years at the position, if not ever, um, in my, my 15 years of, of doing this on a, on a regular basis. I think those two players are, are probably lead the pack as far as uh, players that could be targeted by teams that are going to be looking up to trade, uh, trade into round one. So I'm not sure Hunley's going to go to the Eagles, but right now – who knows what's going on in Philadelphia? It's uh, it's really kind of a mystery right now. I think that's the way Chip Kelly wants it. I think they're getting a little a little too cute. But uh, let's let's go back to a team that you were talking about, Buffalo. Now they've they've made a lot of moves. You mentioned Lashawn McCoy. You mentioned uh, Percy Harvin. They made a trade for Matt Castle. Now they have Matt Castle. They signed Tyrod Taylor and EJ Manuel. Those are Looks like those are the, the three going into the year, I think. Um, uh, Jeff Toole they still have. The question is, are they comfortable with that going into the year, or are they going to try to try to draft someone again in the first round? I think right now they're, they're, they're kind of comfortable. I, I think they know this is not uh, a long-term plan, even with Matt Castle there. I think they're going to be able to enjoy some type of success. I think Kyle Orton did a a pretty good job in Buffalo last year. He was one of those guys that kind of 
came up kind of late in the process we were a little bit unsure of, and sure enough, it just kind of hasn't panned out. Quarterbacks just always seem to be overvalued. It's amazing. So I think that eventually they may be looking there, but this is kind of a short-term uh, solution. But I think just kind of changing the overall perception, trying to cut into that uh, New England, uh, that, that stranglehold that they have on the AFC East, and I think uh, a couple of teams in the division there have done that. The, the Jets going out and getting Darrell Revis and uh, getting Buster Scrine. They've actually playing uh, with a with a very good secondary and, and trying to take that uh, defensive approach with, with Todd Poles to get another defensive-minded coach in there. Uh, we've seen, obviously, uh, the Dolphins break the bank for Indomitian Sioux and uh, some some other new additions that they, they've made on the team as well. And, and the trade actually... Sipping out Mike Wallace was pretty interesting. We we kind of seen that happening where we're just kind of uh, questioning when it was going to happen. So I think some teams have been very active. While you look at the the Patriots and they you know they let Darrell Revis walk, they let Brown and Brandon Browner walk. That's a a large part of their success and what Darrell Revis brings to that team. Uh, just just allows your defense to do so many things. So one's got to wonder if it, if it's not just one team, it could be every team that really kind of starting to breathe down the, the Patriots' neck, but, you know, Bill Belichick always seems to get it done. He uh, There always seems to be a method to his madness. So I'm I'm not only kind of uh, looking at what Buffalo's doing there, but that whole division, that's been one of the more interesting divisions to watch from a personnel standpoint uh, this time of year. Well, looking at the AFC East a little further, what do the four teams need? Uh, let's start with Miami. What do they need in this draft? Well, I think right now you know, they're trying to get a, a few more offensive weapons in there. They, they want to make sure that Ryan Tannehill continues to progress. He's not really at that elite quarterback status yet, but, but he's made some solid progressions. A couple times in recent years we've seen quarterbacks kind of start off hot and then they, they kind of progress and eventually we kind of all forget about them. So uh, I think that they want that to continue. Uh, but, but a lot of times it's, it's putting that offense on the field and, you know, Showing up that defense with a player like Indomitian Sue, that, uh, that's a big deal. It's a big commitment. So I, you really got to like what uh, what the Dolphins are doing there. And uh, as far as a big need, I'm still kind of like that, that running. Is it is it going to be enough for them to really just be a, a legitimate force and kind of pound the football and, and be able to take a little bit of pressure off Ryan Tannehill? Uh, and, and as far as the offensive line, there's – Obviously, some, there's been some some problems with depth. I think the, the Dolphins are among the NFL leaders in games that are missed by offensive linemen over the last three or four years. They've had a number of injuries, or it seems like when someone goes down, the, the depth is just not there. So I think the, the Dolphins have to address that as well. Any chance they try to re-sign Jake Long? I don't know. you got to see if uh, Jake Long is actually going to officially hang them up now or, or what's going to happen. I uh, I'm not sure what uh, the uh, the Dolphins are going to do along the line. I expect them to address that in the draft, but I'm not sure if that's where they're going to go in the first round. I think they're in a, a good position to kind of take the, the best player available. Uh, we just talked a little bit about Landon Collins. I think that there would be a need there, uh, maybe at uh, with the Dolphins at 14, maybe at 16 with the Texans. Uh, if he gets out of that top 10 range, two teams that could look very, very hard at him. I could see uh, Miami making a, a play for a Landon Collins and, and getting that impact player on the secondary. I think that would be a very good signing for them. 
or possibly even uh, getting another uh, linebacker, uh, some uh, a little more speed there to uh, to go uh, side to side. But I think that the uh, they've been talking to. Looks like they've they've had a, some interest in some prospects that they could maybe get in the second or third round. So I think Miami's going to address that by the second day. But I'm not sure that's an area where they'd be looking around one. Uh, but ultimately, if Trey Williams falls out of the top ten, if no one's taken a corner yet, Miami would be just ecstatic, and I, I don't think we would see them wait very long to pull the trigger on signing Trey Waynes. What about Buffalo? I mean, they you know, if they're sticking with, say, Matt Castle as a starter, they have a pretty solid roster right now. They're, they're really not missing a lot of holes. Um, where do you think their biggest holes are? Ironically, it could be the uh, – I think it's along the offensive line. I think that there's been some uh, – they let a couple of players go. I think uh, the Andy Andy Levitri letting him actually go to Tennessee, and they've never really kind of shored up the interior line there. The defensive line has played well. Uh, the, the linebacker position, maybe there's a need there. But as far as um, just just an impact player, you know, possibly maybe a, another athletic tight end, maybe someone to kind of stretch the field. But uh, you got to think that Buffalo is one of these teams that uh, do not have a first-round pick. They're not on the board. I believe it's pick number 50, 51. They're in that range when they're first on the board. So it's probably going to be a best player available. But at that time, we may not see a guard off the board, or there may only be one. So I think if we've got the maybe an A.J. Can from South Carolina or a Trey Jackson from Florida State, or, uh, some of these uh, offensive guards that are going to be among the first that are picked, Again, it's probably not something that's going to excite the fan base. You wait, you don't have a first-round pick, and round two you're taking a guard. But especially with the commitment to the run, if you bring in a person like LaShawn McCoy, who's uh, you know going to be – obviously they, they want to run the football, and that's Rex Ryan football. Uh, getting some guards to do it along the interior is something that uh, you're, going to, you're going to want to do very well because you're going to be doing it very often. You know who you have them taking the second round, uh, UCLA defensive end. Do you want to say his name? <laughs> oh, Dickie Zua. Oh, and, and that Got is it. a player that, and I think that, that, that that's a possibility because he's not just the, the everyday defensive end that's going to go out and uh, actually just get after the quarterback and a guy that's going to be racking up double-digit sacks. Um, he's, a, he's a well-rounded prospect. He's someone that's really uh, kind of moved up, moved up the draft board. Uh, possibility that he goes in the first round. I think he's more likely a early to to the middle uh, second round type of prospect, but uh, if, if he's still around at that point, I think uh, I think Buffalo would be happy uh, to take a player of that caliber, especially after Jerry Jerry Hughes was another person that they actually let walk. Now they they do um, they mix up their sets; they go between a three four and a four three. But uh, about 270 pounds, he's a guy that's a little bit bigger, maybe an undersized defensive end. If you're playing in that 3-4 alignment, maybe even a, a rushed linebacker. He did participate in linebacker and defensive end drills at the UCLA Pro Day where, where he performed pretty well. So um, it's a possibility. But, uh, again, it is the best name to say. Oamabi Odigizua, that is something that's not going to roll right off the tongue, but it is fun to say. Let's move on to the Jets real quick. Uh, let's evaluate some of their needs. Right now in the mock, we have them taking Amari Cooper at number six, Danielle Hunter in the second round, Nick O'Leary, the tight end in the third round, Xavier Cooper, defensive tackle from Washington State in the fourth, 
Darius Kilgo, defensive tackle from Maryland in the seventh, and Cody Riggs, a cornerback from Notre Dame in the seventh as well. I think the Jets would be pretty happy with that draft. What do you think? Yeah, I think uh, defense is going to be – I mean, they they do want some some playmakers on offense still, and, and the big signing, of course, has been Revis on the defensive side of the football. But I think at number six, whether this is going to be Marcus Mariota, you – or, you know, you've got Amari Cooper. You've got Kevin White, if, or if Kevin White does land in Oakland. There's a, if they don't get a quarterback in the first, or a, a wide receiver in round one, there's definitely going to be some in round two. But that's, that's the biggest need you have there. You bring in a guy like Eric Decker, who's a, who's a, good, a good piece to that offense, but he's, he's just not a number one target. You've got to get some other uh, people you're throwing the ball to. And obviously with the Brandon Marsh, Marshall deal now, you've got that big wide receiver, you know, you put him in, Eric Decker's not a small guy himself, so you've got a couple of very big targets. Maybe it's a little more uh, forgiving for a, a player like Geno Smith or whoever's going to quarterback that offense to have some of those, those bigger targets there. So I think maybe getting a, uh, another person in there, you get uh, three good wide receivers. The, the tight end spot is, is something that's kind of been an Achilles heel for them in, in recent years. So you get maybe a smaller H-back or uh, tight player or a tight end by like the third or fourth round. I think that is something that the, the Jets will spend a, a lot of time looking at hard and hard and heavy, maybe just a red zone threat, someone that's a little bit bigger. Maybe even Jeff Howerman out of uh, Ohio State might be someone that, that they look at. Ben Koyak out of Notre Dame. Uh, if you want to go someone smaller, another a small school prospect that I love, Michael Pruitt out of Southern Illinois. Again, looks more like that H-back at standing only 6'2" but one of the more reliable targets catching the football. Again, you can get a tight end uh, later. There's some good tight ends here, but just not a lot of top-end tight end talent at the top of the board. So it's, it's kind of fortunate for the Jets. They can look in other areas and hopefully still get a, a decent prospect in the middle to later rounds of this draft. Okay, and what about the championship-winning New England Patriots? What do they need? Well, they are the masters of that best player available or what they're going to do. I think there's, there's two pretty uh, obvious schools of thoughts here. One, Cameron Irving is someone that uh, has been rumored to be going to this team or someone they'd be interested in. Uh, obviously, I think that the fact that he was a tackle would have been looked at primarily a tackle had he come out and declared last year when he did not. But he spent a lot of time at center this year. Um, he's... Uh, participated at guard. So he's a guy that in the last two years has essentially started at four different spots on that line. I think every place but left tackle, he's actually started a game. So the versatility there, that's something that is always valued in the New England uh, system. Uh, I think also the possibility of a big defensive tackle, maybe looking at that long-term Vince well, Wilfork type replacement. Maybe if uh, Jordan Phillips gets by the uh, gets by the Packers at number 30 and would kind of be available for the Patriots at 32. Maybe that's a player that they look at uh, pretty hard. And the Patriots are also notorious for trading back and acquiring some draft picks and that and just uh, push those picks back year in and year out. Uh, they haven't done it as much as, as they had in the past, but that's something they could still do. And, of course, with, when you've got uh, players like Darrell Rivas and Brandon Brown are walking away, you've got some holes in the secondary as well. I think that maybe they look for someone by the first or second day uh, in the secondary, but I, I also think that come training camp or closer to the, the season, once it once it uh, we see a couple of these big names kind of let go or some surprise releases, 
I think that's an area where New England likes to have a, a nice blend of youth, but they also like to have that veteran leadership back there. And I think maybe uh, someone off the waiver wire uh, going to New England is, is the way that they would go. If anyone wants their division discussed next week, we can, we can do that as well. So uh, we'll pick out one division, and we'll talk about two needs for them. DJ, let's talk about some other rumors that you might have heard recently. Uh, as far as just rumors, um, there's been a lot of talk uh, surrounding the Pittsburgh Steelers and what they're actually going to be doing. They're a team, I think we've mentioned it in past shows, that doesn't show a lot of love, quote, to the secondary in that, uh, in that first round. Maybe that's something that happens again. I think it's the area where they will maybe spend the most time, but maybe not with that top pick. And I think at one time, Trey Waynes was, was uh, when there was – no cornerbacks that were really thought of as being top ten picks. That uh, there was some talk that maybe you know that's what Pittsburgh would do at twenty two. But now the fact that he's actually moved into the top ten, there's been a lot of talk that they're after a linebacker, and you know that's something that would basically essentially be like the third straight year. We saw them with Jarvis Jones, who unfortunately has not panned out yet. Brian Shazier had a pretty good year. Had some injuries that he dealt with. You look at him and Stephon Tuitt, uh, their second-round pick out of Notre Dame, both performed uh, pretty well last year in, in their in spots and situations. But now with the surprise retirement of Jason Worlds, that uh, you're actually looking at another void there. Uh, you know, guy near age of 27 that's walking away. Even if he wasn't going to be with Pittsburgh, he was set to make a a pretty good paycheck from somebody. So I think that there's uh, more talk of a linebacker in Pittsburgh. And that just seems to be something that uh, year in and year out, they're just throwing these linebackers into the mix. But if they want to stay competitive, uh, I think that this is another team we talked about just because of signings or some movement on their roster that uh, things have changed a little bit. Uh, there was early on talk that maybe Landon Collins would go there. Of course, uh, Troy Polamalu has been around forever. And the fact that he's more than likely not going to be around uh, and be a Steeler next year, that maybe they'd be looking for that replacement in round one. But it looks like uh, linebacker has suddenly become the number one priority for the Steelers, and maybe they start looking at the secondary in the later rounds. DJ, any other uh, thoughts on the week? No, I think uh, right now it's it's just kind of sitting back. The pro days, that, that's the, the big thing that we're seeing now. We're starting to see more of the, the big schools have their pro days. Of course, Oregon with theirs, Ohio State had their pro day recently. Uh, we're seeing some more on the, on the horizon. Some of the small school players, we're going to hear more about kind of rising up. Um, Ali Marpet out of uh, Hobart had a, had a pretty good pro day as well. We've heard more and more about him. He's a guy that we've been tracking, Division Three prospect too. Yeah, he's going to be a late-round prospect. Oh, wow, he's looking like a fourth, fifth-rounder. We could be looking at day two with this guy now. I think uh, right now is my bet to probably be the second – player off the board outside of the uh, uh, the FBS schools uh, behind Jakirski Tart of Samford, the, the safety. I believe we currently have him as the first pick in the third round. Um, he's not had his workout yet. He actually had a uh, some hamstring issues he was dealing with. He's going to be working out on the 30th this month. I think that'll go a long way. Um, speaking of small schoolers, Zach Hodges was a guy that we were very high on. His stock has slipped a little bit. Now apparently it's, it's slipped a lot. Uh, his attitude and seems to have uh, rubbed some teams the long, wrong way. Even though he went to Harvard, maybe uh, maybe Harvard people aren't quite as smart as we think. Uh, his, uh, apparently he's uh, kind of been a, a little rigid in, in some of his uh, the meetings that he's had with some, some teams. 
uh, in, a, in a one-on-one basis. Uh, he seemed to not be as, I'd say, adept with change when he was actually at the Senior Bowl. There was a little bit of resistance there. looked uh, pretty mechanical to a lot of teams. So he was a guy who at one point looked like he could be the top small scorer off the board, but his stock's taking a pretty good hit now. We, we could be talking about him in the fifth or sixth round now, like the third or fourth. Chris is a Packers fan, and he said, sorry, but speaking as a Packers fan, I find that your mock draft lacks even the, se- uh, the semblance of credibility. Everyone knows that the Packers cut their two starting inside linebackers from last year. Now, how many does their mock have? Zero. Now, DJ, do we want to chalk this up to a mock draft that, you know, you can't catch everything. We're doing a seven-round mock draft, or is that by design? I think that there could be an inside linebacker there, but um, I think a lot of people just assume that the the move by Clay Matthews was going to be temporary. It, it might not be. We could see more of him. Even if he's an inside, as an inside linebacker, we're going to see plenty of packages where he's actually going to play the inside linebacker position. Um, I think – Green Bay, you know, there's a good chance that they actually take an inside linebacker. Uh, don't take this as the, as the word of, the, of God or the gospel that they're not going to choose someone. But then again, I really think there's, there's been more talk again about a defensive tackle. And, I, you know, I had a couple of emails where I underwent uh, a little bit of criticism there. Uh, but, uh, you know, by all accounts, uh, B.J. Raji and uh, the, the uh, Garan, they, they could both be gone. I mean, we could be talking about the top two defensive tackle uh, players for the, the Packers last year not not around, so suddenly uh, taking a defensive tackle in the first round doesn't seem like a bad idea. Something I've been saying all along, I really think that Jordan Phillips, uh, a little overvalued in my eyes. Uh, you're, you're looking at a guy who's going to need some time. He was a sophomore, and I, and I think that he really kind of played like it. There's, there's some hot and cold streaks. Uh, streaks there. There's some problems with consistency, but he is a, a big body, and we all know that that's what the Packers value. They like having someone who can just create havoc and just take up a lot of space in the middle, opening up things for those linebackers. And we, They were uh, terribly inconsistent against the run last year. They, they improved as the year went on, but uh, the long-term stability of, of having a linebacker to stop the run has been a concern. So I think that uh, they did shore up some free agents. I think signing Randall Cobb was, was brilliant. I think that's a move they had to make. I think he was a guy that would have been scarfed up pretty quickly had uh, he not been inked to a deal with Green Bay. So I, I think there's a, there's a good chance a player like Stephon Anthony out of uh, Clemson is a player that caught their eye. I can say that he's been moving up the boards, and the Packers apparently have already had him in for a visit. So – there's some mutual interest in an inside linebacker there. So um, I would say that that one kind of falls in the middle. There's definitely some credence that they could be looking at an inside linebacker, but to say that's their top priority or that's where they're looking above anything else, you could kind of make a case for that, but that's not what the Packers are showing us right now. They don't seem to have a, a huge push for an inside linebacker. There's definitely interest, but there's other positions like uh, – a, a, a playmaker in the secondary as well as a defensive tackle that the team seems to be paying a little more attention to right now. Yeah, and let's let's also not forget, I mean, if you look at the pure inside linebackers in this draft, in my mind it, it pales in comparison to some of the other drafts. I mean, there's really not a lot of 
pure inside linebackers that I'm I'm gunning for in this draft. I mean, the only one we have in the first round is Eric Kendricks. Um, and then we have Steph, uh, Stephon Anthony in the third round. You know, and Kendricks, I, I don't think he's as good as his brother. And, um, you know, then we have we obviously have some outside linebackers that can play inside. But the thing about the thing about Green Bay that I think you touched on, uh, which is right, is one, you know, there is a chance Clay Matthews moves inside. I think they, they still like Julius Peppers. They have Nick Perry. Um, they also like what they've seen from Carl Bradford on the outside. And on the inside, Sam Barrington played very well for them. He's a young guy for them. And they also, they like Adrian Hubbard out of Alabama. Um, so between that rotation, it's really, you know, they have some options. So they're not completely out of options just because they haven't signed anyone. So I don't necessarily think that drafting an inside linebacker in this draft is answering the question. In my mind, yeah, they need an inside linebacker. Sure, it'd be great if uh, they had one of the better ones available. But in a in a weak inside linebacker draft, you know, I, I, I could see them picking the best player available, which is what they often do, and then you know trying to shore it up with either what they have with some of the late round draft picks or uh, free agency a little bit more. Yeah, and, and Kendricks, uh, I disagree a little bit. I think I think he's actually a better prospect than his brother coming out. I didn't think as much as. Uh, of Michael, but he's, he's turned out to be a pretty good pro. That's uh, some very good range. But I'd say as far as the back of the draft, one of the worst-kept secrets in, like, the 20s and beyond has been Arizona. It's all over Eric Kendricks. It's, I mean, they, they'd probably pick him now if they could. They've, that may be the one pick that just seems to – if there's a slam dunk in the 21 to 32 range right now, it looks like Eric Kendricks, Arizona. Good thing that we have that in the mock, so hopefully we'll be right there. But – um. <laughs> I think that's it. If you want to write in, get you in the mailbag next week. And if you actually want to get on the podcast, uh, let us know, and we'll uh, we'll get you in live. And you'll be able to ask whatever questions you want or chime in on maybe some of your favorite teams or some of your favorite prospects. So keep on listening. Keep on checking out the site. Keep checking out the blog for DJ's news and notes, which are absolutely incredible. Uh, if you're not following the news and notes every day in the blog, you're really missing out some uh, some great tidbits of information about the draft. And, and we're not talking about just the first round or second round. We're talking about pro days, guys you've never heard of, seventh-round prospects, free agents. I mean, the types, types of players that, you know, maybe you'll be hearing about in a few years and you'll be wondering, how come no one was talking about it? And we said, well, we were blogging about it. So check it out. Uh, more to come on draft site. Thanks, everyone, for joining. And, DJ, have a great week. You as well. See everybody next week. We see the difference in each other. We never see how we're the same. Take up arms against our brother And no one ever takes the blame When the man comes in And draws that line between us Will we all just choose a side Or just keep quiet Well, one voice can make a whole lot of noise One voice singing out 
But a full-blown choir Could take the whole thing higher Make the song sound better Singing in one voice together